Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello again, listeners. Welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. It's a post-North London Derby Daily Canon Weekly Podcast, which is probably a slightly emotionally conflicted podcast on that basis, given the way the game went. Uh, joining me to delve into that and also everything else that's happened in the last week, and indeed today, because, hey, it's the European transfer deadline. Uh, joining me to do all that is Paul Williams. How are you, Paul? Over the hangover. Over the hangover. Well, I have jealousy because I didn't have the option of having a hangover because I was having to catch what of the game I could between doing a matinee on stage and an evening show on stage. Uh, I've managed to catch most of the bits I missed last night on internet-based catch-up, but uh, for me, the narrative is pieced together slightly out of time. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it must be a bit like Memento, maybe. (laughs) Not quite that bad. At least I can remember the bits I saw the other day. You haven't had to write the goal scorers down on your arm or anything. Yeah, yeah, no, I've I've managed to remember what happened, what I saw yesterday before watching it today, which always helps. Um, You've probably got more uh, memories from the game than I have, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you, of course, had the live experience, and you said you were watching it with a Spurs mate. So how the hell was that? Yeah, it was quite funny. Um, it's I sort of ran into him. He lives across the way from me, so I'd sort of run into him earlier in the week, and he was like, I actually initiated it. I said, oh, what are you doing for the game? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Um, I might go down the pub. Why, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, but uh, give us a knock. I might come to the pub. Uh, so he did, and I did. Um, he enjoyed the first half, obviously. Um, <laughs> or at least the first 44 and a half minutes. Indeed, indeed. It was, um, it was interesting because watching the game um, in, in a pub in South London, um, there were quite a few Arsenal fans in there and there were also quite a few Tottenham, but it was all good-natured. But it was actually nice to see that the uh, North London derby is alive and well, even in South London. <laughs> um the, the net result of that was really that the commentary was slightly inaudible and the atmosphere from the ground, um, I gather there was quite a good atmosphere there, um, probably up until Spurs went 2-0 up. <laughs> um, but it was difficult to pick up, pick up that aspect of it, really. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, the closest I got to that was uh, getting a, a bit of uh, mick, mick taking out of a... Uh, Alas, I was in the show with who uh, isn't really a Spurs fan, but a family of Spurs fans. Uh, you know, she sort of knows who some of the players are, but she yeah. <laughs> she was still enjoying the fact that Spurs were winning as much as I enjoyed telling her just because we were preparing for our second show that uh, Arsenal had equalised and had just had a goal disallowed and were chasing a winner. <laughs> yeah, sadly, did not come. Um, I mean, obviously, emotionally, I imagine that was quite a. Uh, an, 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 uh, a mixed but uh, I suppose eventually positive experience for you <laughs> having seen it yeah, in real time again it's interesting my uncle who I've mentioned many times on this podcast Indeed. was sapping me at half time he's like the fifth um, Beatle <laughs> before half time even um, and everything was shit and terrible and blah 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 and then after the game it's oh, Arsenal can't take any points off the top four like, well we have just taken one it was only one but it is a point mm. um, and I think my thing was because I was in the pub and just watching the game, I hadn't really, I didn't want to respond to any of his messages. <laughs> but, um, I, I, to me, well, one of the WhatsApp messages I did send, which was to um, my more regular group of friends, was this is the best derby in the world. And I know there are derbies around the world that would have similar claims. But this game yesterday, if you can't enjoy watching a game like that, I mean, yes, it's disappointing that we didn't <laughs> win, but to come back from 2-0 down and get a point, that was a good thing. But if you can't enjoy watching a football match like yesterday's, then you shouldn't be watching football. Well, it's, it's, well, it's, it's sort of traditional now, isn't it, for quite a number of years that Arsenal-Spurs games, particularly at Arsenal, are a bit fucking mental. Yeah. Um, there's always loads of goals and there's always loads of cock-ups and there's always the odd bad tackle and there's always a Harry Kane dive um, more than that yes, death taxes and Harry Kane dives Um, but uh, but I suppose it's partly fuelled by the fact that you know, ignoring I suppose 
one maybe some of the ones in Italy and some of the ones in South America there aren't that many derbies where the players and the teams really still don't like each other <laughs> whereas whereas Spurs Arsenal there's still enough genuine enmity well I, I think the other thing particularly relevant to this country is that the teams I was Spurs you know the league table for the last three years tells us that Spurs are a little bit better than Arsenal but they're relatively easily matched whereas you yeah. look at Liverpool and Everton that's not really a rivalry uh, to paraphrase Dennis Bergkamp only rivals in the geographical sense mm. Manchester <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to my boss this morning he's a Liverpool fan and I was just saying what I just said about this mm. being the best derby in the world and we've got a staff member who's a Man United fan he was like what about Man United and City and I was like mate City is miles ahead of you <laughs> See, they didn't used to be but I think the point about this Arsenal Spurs game is that the teams are Quite closely matched. Obviously, we hammered them at our place last year, and we should have beaten them at Wembley. And we should have beaten um, them yesterday, to be honest. But well, and we definitely should have beaten them yesterday. And like I said, it's disappointing that we weren't able to fully complete that comeback. But um, I mean, I've got to admit, at two 0 down, it felt <laughs> you'd have taken it, yeah, quite. <laughs> you know, just, oh my god, how, and I, and I sort of had a slightly like. It's really funny with these games how you go from blasé confidence during the week, like, oh, yeah, we're going to win 4 0, whatever. Um, and then as the, game, the the clock ticks around to kick off, and then particularly with the team where it's like, oh, Pepe Lacazette and Aubameyang are starting. Mm, mm, mm. And I'd actually tweeted earlier on in the week that I wasn't, I don't really understand at the moment why those three have to start. I mean, I know. Obviously, Lacazette is a brilliant centre-forward and Aubameyang is a brilliant centre-forward and Pepe's this exciting winger that we've signed. Um, but for me, um, and I think team selection, you know, people might say Emery maybe got that wrong yesterday, but it's a, f- football's a 14-man game now. It's not just about the 11 that start on the pitch. And I think if we'd been able to bring, say... Pepe on after an hour yesterday. He would have had a. I mean, he he played well anyway. The finishing aside, but he might have had a bigger impact on the game coming off the bench with half an hour left. Or oh, dare I say it, uh, our dearly departed chaos agent Danny Welbeck. <laughs> well, indeed. Uh, although he, although he like the, the players that we're also missing, probably wouldn't be up to full fitness now anyway. So I suppose it's an, an irrelevance. Um, yeah, it's a, it, it's, it is a thing of, you know, I suppose it's that thing of, you know, we've got the shiny new toy. We know that our two strikers are great. So, of course, we all want to see them together. I think most fans recognise they're not going to play together every game simply because uh, then we'll have no reserve forwards at all, especially now that has gone on loan. It'll be, you know, send a helicopter to get Tyrese John Jules from wherever under 23 game he's playing somewhere. Um, and uh, there is that excitement. And, and I think the, the balance in midfield, to be honest, I wasn't expecting us to have a balanced midfield for this game simply because Torreira's only just got back to match fitness. Ceballos is still fitting in and we're still trying to work out how to make him play more like he did against Burnley and then yesterday off the bench than against Liverpool. you got Willock, who has a lot of promise but is totally untested at this level bar a couple of games and it's a lot to ask for him to play every week. You've got Xhaka, who we all get on to. <laughs> We've got Genduzi, who is a player that is he, is he, a, is he a six, is he an eight, what is he, you know. And so there's, a, there's, a, there's some new players and there's some players who are evolving, young players are evolving. The only player who we know exactly what we've got with, and again, as I said, we'll touch on it, is Granit Xhaka. Everyone else is in our midfield options, and even including Ozil in that, has some question marks either about them or the way that they're going to fit in with other players simply because we have some new players and we have young players that are developing rapidly and you know let's not forget Torreira is still 23 um, and has you know hasn't had a full pre-season for the second in a row due to bloody Copper America um, so, so he hasn't had a chance to be integrated fully in pre-season with the other signings. You know, Sabias arrived slightly late to get the full pre-season as well. So there's, you know, there's 
few bits and bobs in there which, which lead us to having some uncertainty and of course there's also the fact that uh, we're still still working out what the fuck's going on in our defence with um, you know what will be our first choice fullbacks are still both out and probably one of our first choice centre halves is still out um, and it's very much uh, make do and mend with a combination of players that even though quite a lot of the players might play a fair bit you would never pick them in that combination with each other yeah. um, our centre halves in particular which we saw, we saw a beautiful demonstration of uh, uh, for the Spurs' first goal there where um, Socrates thought he'd try and stand on Xhaka's <laughs> uh, shoulders just to lose a flick onto Harry Kane which then left left David Luiz, who's not exactly uh, what you'd call a natural covering defender. <laughs> it's quite interesting. I think the last time we talked, we talked about those two, and I, you know, I've expressed the concern about both of their temperaments together. But yeah. I hadn't also factored in the fact that they both like to go and get the ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can sort of see that we might have a situation with these two if they are if they turn out to be the preferred partnership this season it could be a bit like Koscielny and Vermaelen was a few years back yeah or indeed Mustafi who is you know I mean until his confidence completely dropped off the face of the earth you know when he was still playing decent he was again this front footed proactive defender who wants to go and attack the ball and win it and all the rest of it Um, and it's great you need one of them but having two of them, you can only get away with if both of them are absolutely shit hot brilliant. Um, yeah. Because then you're just leaving spaces behind. Um, and it's like when we were talking in the summer about the transfers. I don't know if I was talking to you to or Anita, but it was, you know, the links to Daniele Dragani out of Juventus, who obviously now Chiellini's bust his knee, is going to get lots of game time there after all. Um, but I was saying, you know, he's probably in a lot of ways, no better a defender than some of the players we have in our squad. You know, now Louise has arrived, obviously different skill set, and probably in a lot of ways is, is no better than Mustafi, but he's a lot fucking more measured and calm in his play. And the only defender we've centre off we've got who has that about them is Rob Holding. Yeah. Who, you know, we're in danger of talking up like he's bloody, you know, peak Maldini or something. But the fact is, is he has a composure to his game, which even though his individual qualities may not be better than some of other other components, is very important in our back line. You know, he's someone who's prepared to drop off or prepared to take a slightly more measured approach rather than wanting to be proactive at every moment. Um and so that's why I do think if he can get back to the level he was last season, he will be first choice simply because it will provide a much better balance with our other defenders, uh, who would who are different to each other, but both but all have qualities that um, could mesh well with what Holding's got. I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. Going into the goals then. So the first goal that Spurs scored. What do we think about that? How many different people do you blame, and who has the greatest blame? <laughs> Because there's a few um, to choose from. It's 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 all a bit of a. It's funny for something that ultimately happened in very slow motion. At the end, it all yeah happened in a bit of a blur initially. Um, it it felt like oh my god! All of a sudden, I can't even remember who it was. Was it Son? Um, who had the initial shot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Having skipped, it was in him. miles of space, and it seemed to me like. Every goal that Spurs have ever scored at the Emirates is a slightly scrambled version of this goal. <laughs> yeah, we're all up the other end of the pitch. So <laughs> there's a Spurs forward running towards our goal with lots of time and lots of space. Um, Leno's goalkeeping. I mean, I think generally people see Bernd Leno as. Uh, positive signing for Arsenal but that was really one for the detractors weak 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 goalkeeping Mm. Um, so I don't know he was left really exposed but he could have done a lot better than he did with that shot in my opinion yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 the old cliche about the strong wrist. If you're going to get down to it, make sure you push it out of the danger area, or make sure you get it to go further away from, you know. Um, but it's interesting. I saw a stat actually that 
since he's joined Arsenal, he's made the most errors directly leading to a goal. I mean, obviously, goalkeepers do tend to have higher stats in those areas because they're goalkeepers. Uh, and when they make fuck-ups, bad things tend to happen. But, yeah. um, but apparently, yeah, he's made six errors leading to, leading to goals. Uh, but for my mind, about four of them are a bit like this one, and that, yes, the goalkeeper should have done better, but there are enough other people involved in the era who also made errors that is like, how do you attribute which of them takes the greatest responsibility? Yeah. <laughs> um, and as, as before, you know, you've got Socrates trying to win the ball against Harry Kane, but, but succeeding only in preventing Xhaka to be able to make himself effective in trying to block Harry Kane at all, and then playing himself, leaving himself totally out of position for then Son to skip past David Luiz who'd misjudged the flight of the ball and uh, made it very easy for the Son get, to get past him. And then, of course, you've got Leno's chocolate wrist. Um, happy days, 1-0. <laughs> Fucking Christian Eriksen, who, who they've been refusing to pick for the previous games, 10 minutes into his return to the team, gets a goal. <laughs> oh, isn't that always the way with um, us? But it was just so frustrating because we hadn't started brilliantly but we had started quite well we had yeah yeah and that then immediately put us on the back foot oh yeah and then not so long after that we had a, a great save from Leno from like, was it Son I think maybe I had another shot no, yeah, but that, that was a fantastic save which sort of it's it, it sort of you see the two sides of how it was different to say Petr Cech who would have done better with the first one, but not as well with the second, probably. Um, yeah, although Czech had developed a bit of a habit of pushing the ball into, back into the danger zone, hadn't he, by the end of his Yeah, by the end, yeah, by the end, yeah, uh, by the final season or two. Um, by the time he knew he was going back to Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and then, despite that, then uh, that escape, uh, we had... Uh, what can only be described as experienced player in brain fart combo. Uh, again. Again, you know, it's it's, it's it's like, we. It, I mean, it is, I mean, I'm going to get onto this more later because I want, I want to talk to you about the evolution of the squad and the, uh, but the, the, the fact that it's often our older players at the moment who seem to be the most stupid and, uh, and you know, <laughs> our, our potential captain elect. Ha ha. Um, I mean, it was so late that a number of people didn't see it in real time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, th- I think I, it was funny in the pub because they were showing the replays and I was going, fucking hell, I can't fucking fuck's sake, I can't believe that. And Mike, my Spurs mate, is like, what are you talking about? That's a definite penalty. And I was like, I know <laughs> that's not what I'm cross about well it is what I'm cross about oh man like <laughs> where do you start well it's weird where do you start with that like how has how does he not know that you can't do that in the penalty area anywhere well it's an interesting one because it's it, he like dived in a, in a way that looked like he was trying to block a shot but yet he did it at the opponent, yeah. <laughs> who then obviously just passed it off and was clattered. But it's, but it's, it's one of those other also interesting little kind of, and I'm not saying it's the wrong decision at all, I want to put that straight up front, but it's one of those interesting little kind of odd things about the rules that if, uh, if Son's pass, you know, plays that little pass, and if it's an immediately a shot that goes just wide then quite often it's not given as a penalty even though the bloke's been clattered because yeah. there's a, because nothing came of it. And also, technically, it's the right decision. You know, I mean, it just went absolutely straight through him and he didn't have the ball anymore and that's just fucking stupid in anyone's book. But you quite it's one of those things that if there's an immediate action straight afterwards, you often see it not given because there's there's been a chance. But because in this time, time actually, the rest of the defence were doing their job properly uh, and he got clear to the ball, it made the referee's decision very, very easy to, to give a penalty rather than kind of questioning it. I, I can't believe that he didn't get booked. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it I was... I mean, yeah. that's unbe- that was unbelievable. I, I mean, you could, And lucky for us, actually, because he then did get booked later on, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, if it, was, if it was Mike Riley or Mike Dean, you, would, you know, back in the old days, it would have been double jeopardy, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, and he w- he would have deserved it too. I mean, oh, I just I don't know what you can say about manager. He doesn't seem to learn. Um, well, it's it, I mean, it's the that's the thing that's so frustrating about the player is you know he he, he does these things, but then when you take him out of the team, we don't have as much control. <laughs> and so he's that kind of player that, you know, even when we lost to Anfield, he had the most passes of anyone on the pitch. You know, he's he's always really good at making himself available, even if it's not necessarily the most useful positions. But he's got certain... He's, he's very much like... Uh, well, he's very much a Wenger signing, only one that hasn't quite panned out, in that he's a real specialist, and Wenger loved that. Yeah. In, in that the things that he's good at, he's very good at. And some of them yeah. are quite obvious things, like his long passing, and some of them are less obvious things, like his, as I say, his ability to become available, his ability to just take up certain positions in a way that mean the opposition have to either run at him, which is, you know, sadly is a weakness of his, but it is a, a more risky tactic, or they have to play the player. Right. Anyway, positionally, he's decent, and as I say, his uh, he's quite good off the ball for a man with no legs at all, and in terms of pace. Um, and he's got a great left foot, and but there are just other elements to his game which are just not good enough for this level. And and his decision making in pressure situations in the penalty area is one of them. Um, I mean, hey, yeah, and and <laughs> and I wonder if anyone anywhere that was uh, being of any sentience at all thought that Harry Kane wasn't going to score that penalty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he took it well, didn't he? He's now the joint record North London Derby goalscorer. And uh, half of them have been penalties. Oh, I'd say more than half, surely. Well, no, uh, statistically half of them have been penalties. Cause, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, of course, some of them have been one fairly like that one and some of them have been one unfairly like in previous seasons. Indeed. It's, I mean, it's the frustrating thing, isn't it? Now they've finally fucking got VAR in. Our, uh, <laughs> people stop fouling our attackers and getting away with it because they're just not fouling them at the moment and our defenders keep doing stupid shit I, yeah I I have to you, you know that I generally like you know Emery I think he's been uh, reasonably positive uh, for us but if he makes Granite Xhaka captain I I <laughs> How, how how can you make someone like that the captain of this football club? Well, this is the course the, the problem we've got at the moment, isn't it? You, you, you're thinking who can be captain? You like there are literally no obvious choices. I don't know if I said it last time I was on it, but I'd I'd give it to Bellerin. But he's injured for another month and a half. Yeah, but he'll be back soon, and then he can be captain. <laughs> yeah, but can, can the manager really like just have no captain for another two? I mean, maybe he can. Yeah, no, I, I do understand it's tricky, but I mean, I, I saw um, I was reading the Guna um, this afternoon, the online uh, column from the game yesterday, and uh, Kev Witcher was saying that he thought Lacazette should be given the captaincy because. You know, he he goes out and he gives a shit, and you can see how hard he works for the team. He's um, also shit in away games, though. <laughs> I mean, you know, in terms of output, not always in terms of performance. But yeah, I mean, but that was. Um, I mean, I'm sure we'll get onto it. But um, actually, Lacazette's performance in the first half, particularly, was. Um, you know, you, you can see he knows what this game means to everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he grew up playing proper derbies in in France as well. So yeah. Um, and on that note, fucking tasty goal, wasn't it? <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah. Um, Gendouzi won the ball back, was it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and then it got and then its way to Pepe. Pepe. Yeah. So that was nice an assist from Pepe, but uh, the the finish was. Um... Well, the touches before the finish as well. He's, yeah, his feet are good, aren't they? I mean, silky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then bang with the left, you know, it's, um, there was something uh, Ian Wrightish about that thought. Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, although Wrighty probably would have somehow found a way to squeeze it in some old angle on the first touch without having undertaken the other touches, knowing, but knowing him. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a, a really, really brilliant centre forward goal. Um, 
because there really wasn't that much opportunity there and and he made what was something very 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 difficult look relatively smooth yeah i think um one thing that's just occurred to me i i was getting quite frustrated in the first half particularly about the amount it felt like arsenal were trying to work in really tight spaces to create a perfect opportunity and they weren't getting anywhere with that approach because spurs were defending so well but Mm. then lacazette comes up with that um so maybe it needed one person to do it rather than four of them trying to combine um Mm. but then i greatly enjoyed the celebration in front of the spurs fans i mean what did you did you what did you what were you thinking because obviously at two nil down it was like oh god I mean, well, it totally. I, you know, I, I can't speak for the stadium because I wasn't there, obviously. But in terms of watching it with a Spurs fan who was feeling quite up the heap and you know, two 0 at half time, I think it would have been very difficult for Arsenal to get anything out of that game. Um, but to go in at two one, it it totally changed the complete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, when I was sort of, you know, I might, when I was aware of obviously the, the situation, I was like, right, if we can get one before half time, I think we'll get a point. If we can get two, if we can get level before half time, we'll win. That was kind of very much how I was feeling. It was like it, it, it's just the nature of the game. Like normally, if you're two 0 down at home against a, a a good team, you should feel worse than that. But I was like, if, if we can get a goal before half time, we won't lose this game. I was very much feeling that. Um, and that's sort of how I felt him when we went, into, went in at the, the half-time whistle. Uh, I suppose the, the fact that we'd been putting a decent amount of pressure on at that stage um, didn't hurt. And then obviously into the second half, and I mean, we, we were better in the second half, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> oh, we bossed, bossed that second half. I mean, I think both had a couple of times. <laughs> On the break, but we had Kane hitting the post with a oh, cool. well, angle. Bloody hell! <laughs> what a goal that would have been. Mm. Um, they didn't go in, ha <laughs> um, but yeah, there was only, uh, I guess, particularly once we went level, it felt like there was really only one team that was um, going to do the business, but um, you know, Obama Young. It was quite funny. Um, I think Mike was trying to say to me he thought Gendouzi was shooting, but... Um, really? <laughs> yeah, I was a Spurs fan. Um, probably <laughs> used to watch him rubbish like that. Um, what a pick-out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I was really pleased for him because I think he, in amongst all the beer and the madness of that second half... Um, his performance was one that really stood out. I was going to um, say exactly that, yeah. You know, um, talking about Granite Xhaka and the bloody stupidity. Football 365 made an interesting comparison between the two of them. Um, you know, not talking about it in terms of statistics or anything like that, but just in terms of, you know, Granite Xhaka will shit himself in the penalty area and do something stupid. Matty Genduzzi just once he got moved to that more central role, um, just calmly drove the team forward. And you look at this kid and think, my God, he's 20 years old. Mm. Um, mm. It's um, quite exciting to think what he may become for Arsenal. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he's certainly a very, in comparison to Xhaka, a very multifunctional footballer. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have quite the same capacity yet for positioning defensively. You know, when uh, when under pressure, uh, when the opposition got the ball, and he hasn't yet got quite the ability to to influence the tempo of the game when we're in, when we're in control of a game. But he's definitely has a lot more different facets to his game, and and has. The ability to do occasion occasionally do things at a really really high level, uh, like like that pass, for instance. 
I mean, that was a very, very difficult pass to, to both see and play. I mean, obviously, Aubameyang's brilliant run and also capacity for being a massive stealth striker was, you know, because Vertonghen didn't have a clue. He was there until it was too late. Um, was was a massive part of it. But, yeah, it's... it's you know, you see enough different glimpses of Gunduzi, you just hope it just keep progressing at the rate you are. You know, and and if he does, you know, by the time he's twenty two he'll be a hundred million pound footballer. Um and I think the nice thing for him this season, I think he got a bit overplayed last year yeah, we were talking yeah, about yeah. it for like the last three months of the season almost that he was out on his feet. Um as Torreira was, yeah. Yeah. Um I think that season of adaptation for them both uh, last year would have helped. But also, we, we've just got more options this year. That is, I, I don't know whether Emery will be like Wenger and, you know, you know you need to rest someone, but you keep playing them because <laughs> they're so good and you can't drop them, as we saw with Cazorla and years ago, Perez. Um, uh, Aaron Ramsey waves us, says hello. Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> Wilshire to a certain extent you'd throw in there as well Um, but hopefully Emery's a bit more sensible with Ganduzi and you know we've got good options that we can bring into the team and take him out if he needs to be taken out but you know before I forget to mention I'm sure you were going to say it anyway but he's been called up to the France national so yeah it's very good um 24 hours to say for him. Yeah, I mean, Pogba's pulled out an injury, so that's why Gendouzi's got call, called up. Of course, Lacazette still can't get a, a game for Deschamps, which uh, I know a uh, friend of the pod and sometime uh, uh, participant Lana will be far from happy about. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine what profanities are emanating for her, from her at this moment in time and the very thought of it. But um, given that, to be fair, Lacazette's now picked up a little injury and had to go off. As it turns out, it seems it seems to be more that it was cramp rather than a, a muscular injury, which is not surprising given both his work rate and the fact he's had a few knocks in pre-season and early in the season, which has stopped him ever really fully getting up to 100%. Um, I, guess, I guess for us, I mean, selfishly, it's not a bad thing for us that he's not been pulled up. Well, exactly, yeah. And, and ultimately in the game, it was him going off injured that allowed... Aubameyang to play centre forward and get that equaliser um. yeah and I think we so I was talking about the uh, front three earlier and I, I it seems to me that this this 4-3-3 with Aubameyang wide you're not going to I mean, it will work sometimes just because of the nature of the player that he is, but you're not going <laughs> to get the best out of Aubameyang on a regular basis with him playing from a wide position. And I guess I was wondering, like, can we play 4-4-2? Is there a way of us playing? I mean, we sort of played a 4, well, it was a 4-4-2, but in a diamond last week. Mm-hmm. So... We've seen that Emery is prepared to play two up top, and I think I don't know how he does it with the midfield players that we've got. Well, that's the problem because we don't have anyone that can effectively be that Ray Parler, who, yeah. who can who can you know be decent out wide, but still tuck in and be strong defensively. Um, you know. We've, as has been the case of the squad for some time, you know, for a number of years, we've got wingers who are overtly attacking players, or we've got central midfielders, and in you know, and always at any given time, a couple of number tens, of course. But yeah, um, we don't have anyone who can, whether it be on the right or the left, effectively be a two-way wide midfielder that is genuinely good at both aspects. You know. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, you know, I'm sure Emery would would wish we had more of them, but you know, we, we've all seen, even with the transfers that have happened, we all knew what a massive squad rejigging was required, <laughs> and we're seeing, we, you know, and unfortunately, despite despite the fact it may be utilising some of the peak years of our two strikers, um, the fact is, is 
that's going to be an ongoing process because we don't have the ability to spend 150 200 million without recouping money from sales in a summer like some of our rivals and so we've got to we've got to do bits bits and pieces um accordingly so obviously um but i mean just before we get on to the sort of the end of the game before the goal and before Lacazette had to go off we saw Sabias uh, come on for Torreira which obviously changed the balance of the midfield i mean uh, with 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 positive impact i think uh, i mean what did you think a of the decision to take Torreira off over Xhaka uh, and b um what did you make of Sabias's impact after he came on um I think as far as Torreira goes, you could probably understand it. He's clearly not fully fit. Um, so, I mean, as, as frustrating as it is to watch Xhaka, um, I think probably part of it is what you were talking about earlier as well, with the control that Xhaka does give us. The game went a bit nuts in that second <laughs> half, and it's... Um, I. I don't know if I'm deluding myself, but I feel like maybe Jaffa just was almost on as a control measure. Um, Sabayos, it's difficult to pinpoint anything that he did specifically for me um, because of the uh, factors I've already mentioned, i.e. the uh, lack of commentary that was audible and also volume of beer that we were drinking. Um, <laughs> but... Oh, Obviously, the you know it, we were knocking on the door, and um, it, certainly his introduction um, was a good. It was a good thing for us. Um, my uncle was sort of saying to me, and again, it's not something I really engaged with too much. He didn't understand why Sabayos hadn't started, and we were starting three holding midfielders at home, which I think. Is a slight misconception about what Gendouzi actually is. Um, but having watched Sabayos away at Liverpool the previous week and the game totally passed him by, mm. I mean, there's nothing to say that had he started <coughs> tomorrow. That, that same thing uh, yesterday, the same thing would have happened. He might have been brilliant and we could have won 3 4 nil. But I don't think not starting him was the most outrageous decision that's ever been made by an Arsenal manager. Yeah, and it is that thing of, you know, for a player who's just arrived in the country, particularly in that engine room, the North London derby is is going to be a very testing fixture. And also, well, particularly, is I mean, slightly less so on this particular occasion, but we know that Spurs like to be really physical in there. That's their MO. Um, and it has been for a number of years and has been the bedrock of, of a lot of their success um, is just to pick, you know, big, strong, physical guys who can, you know, if there's any sense of physical weakness, they'll bully the opposition. And Sabios has come from a league where, yeah, there are tough guys, but they're not quite as, they're not teams whose fundamental tactic is based around physicality and speed. Um which is obviously a lot more common in the Premier League. And so you can understand why a manager is thinking, well, I'd rather bring him on when the game's stretched a little bit or when the opposition's tiring than have him, you know, have the same struggle he does against Liverpool, but, but against a team that's even more overt in, in that style of play in the central area. Um, and so, like, like you, I, I, I can totally see why the manager reached that conclusion. You know, it, it, I do think uh, a central midfield of... Torreira, Xhaka and, and Gunduzi is a little bit flat mm. uh, and ideally you'd hope the evolution of that midfield would be uh, Torreira, Gunduzi and either Ceballos or Willock or someone who can who can break forward into space as well as being comfortable slightly deeper whereas you know Gunduzi offers a bit both ways as does Torreira but they but none of them uh, really have the either the intricate skill or the physical uh, physical potential in terms of uh, you know running ability, I suppose to to make the to to be that extra man, to be that you know, to be the thing that made Aaron Ramsey useful in in terms of being someone who can uh, make the opposition structure be pressured 
uh, in more different ways or or pressure or double pressure on certain points it's you know if with with that flatness of midfield it's quite easy to set up against um because you know that none of them none of those three are going to be busting their bollocks to break into the box or yeah. break out to wide areas and so you've got an established shape to compete against whereas i think if we had you know within that structure if we have a sabios or a willock being the third man then suddenly you've got someone who's going to go to places which is going to make the opposition have to work harder defensively and and be less comfortable equally the flip side of course is the the players this person we put out as a midfield should be defensively a bit more solid so it depends on where you where, where you think things think things are but given the recent arrival of Fabios and the recent promotion of Willock I don't understand why Emery went for that in this particular instance but I'd be disappointed in if we see it being the three that we saw yesterday uh, in too many home games this season because I think it, it limits what we can do yeah um, I found it quite interesting I was listening to Mourinho after yeah. I think it must have been after the Newcastle game and he was talking about uh, oh, how Arsenal signed Ceballos but they have many players like Ceballos and then he mentioned Meza Ozil and I think he might even have said Mkhitaryan and it was quite funny that all three of them were on the bench yesterday um, yeah, yeah. so I guess in terms of being able to change things from the bench Emery didn't actually leave himself loads of options um, just in terms of a type of player yeah yeah um, <clears throat> I mean I don't know what's going on with Ozil that Mkhitaryan gets on the pitch ahead of him um, well, I mean, Ozil's uh, obviously, I mean, not hopefully not with the same effect as last season, but he's had the same thing of having to take time off training because of what the fuck's been going on in, you know, with his, his house being attacked and him being sure. and the rest of it. But if, but if he's part of the match day squad, then surely he must be available to be deployed if needed otherwise well presumably the reason that Mkhitaryan came on is because it was Lacazette that went on and, and Mkhitaryan can, is more familiar with doing a role in wider areas yeah uh, and whereas that when Ozil plays wide it tends to even though he's got great quality in the ball it tends to slow us down rather than speeding us up he's much better sure. at preventing things from getting stodgy when he's sentry than when he's out wide so it's quite it's to me, it was interesting because anyway, I think when everyone in the pub went, oh, bloody hell, Mkhitaryan's coming on. But then he comes on, goes wide, Ulba goes into the centre and four minutes later, we're, we're level. Yeah, so it sort of worked despite the fact that Mkhitaryan was his usual impotent self. Indeed. Speaking of which, he's going to be impotent in Rome yeah. the rest of the season. So he's been uh, he's been loaned out for, for the rest of the season. Uh Rome will paying all his wages, paying all his wages. and uh, and also uh, they're paying a loan fee as well. Wow! Which it, but uh, of about two and a half million for the year, so it's no great amount of money. Um, contrary to reports, it appears that there isn't a, an obligation to buy if he pays a certain number of games, which is no great surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's. I mean, even though Mkhitaryan is a player that, if at the start of the summer, I'd be very happy to depart to part with. Now that Iwobi has gone to Everton and has suddenly started scoring headers, um, I, I, I slightly fear actually that even though he's not been anything close to consistent for us, I, th- I fear we might miss Mkhitaryan at points of this season, uh, simply because you know now our only wide options aren't starting out of those front three is, is re, it's literally Reese Nelson and Gabriel Martinelli um, I think if if they believe that Reese Nelson is, is is good enough for the first team they must be because they've kept him yeah, um, yeah. but he needs to be given a chance and the same is true of Martinelli um, you know you, we may well as part of you know we would quote this every time on the pod you know you pay for players educations with points and that may well be the case with the two of them but um, 
if they're good enough, they're old enough. And I suppose potentially Bukayo Saka as well, actually. Indeed. Despite the fact he's still very, very young. Um, well, he has been promoted to the first team now, hasn't he? Yeah. Or he's about to be, officially. Yeah, yeah. He's been training with the first team, for sure. That's We know that much. Um, I mean, uh, strategically, it's a decision I entirely support. It's just, uh, you know, having let Enketa go on loan as well, it's kind of like, I just worry that, I guess it's the, the paranoia of recent seasons of getting a couple of injuries in the same position and suddenly you think scratching around trying to work out who the fuck you can play there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously we hope it doesn't, but it doesn't, it, there aren't any injuries, but it does increase the chances of the likes of Tyrese John Jules or Flo Balligan getting look, looking at League Cup games and things like that. Um, which is no bad thing, as I say, strategically. Um, and I guess the League Cup is hardly going to be priority for us. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is interesting because it's a further, how can I say, if you look at the broader picture, it's a further distancing the squad structure from the previous regime in a way. You look at the players who are either of leaving or have left, and it, apart from the strikers... It's a pretty major repudiation of the last few years' transfer policy before the current lot came in. Um, yeah, I, it needed to happen, but I mean, the speed with which it's been done is insane. Um, it's the new ruthless regime. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and so, uh, well, we we can't complain. I think it's something. Well, I think it's almost beyond dreams. I mean, if they could have got rid of Mustafi today as well, that would have been incredible, but probably too much to hope for. To to be an Arsenal fan over the last few years, it's been quite frustrating. And people say, oh, yeah, Arsenal, top six, what are you complaining about? But when you can see players that you know are not good enough to play for the club and they get given chance after chance after chance or they sit running up, you know, their wages. Um, I think it's it's been frustrating to watch that happen. So when um, Ralph Stanley gets to work and does what he's done over this summer, you, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's audacious, really. Um I don't really know what I'm saying at this point of time. <laughs> it's starting to kick in. <laughs> We're getting like my mum. I'll be asleep <laughs> on my face in a minute. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, Mkhitaryan's gone. I mean, that that, that managed to be a swap deal that managed to be both bad for both teams, only not quite as bad for us as it was for United. <laughs> yeah, and I, don't, I guess Mkhitaryan was sort of summed up for me in... Like his first two games after he signed for us, I went to I saw his debut against Everton, and he was unplayable for forty five minutes. He was brilliant, and then the next week we were at Spurs, and he was appalling. Yeah, and I, we never really found found the happy medium between appalling and brilliant. And there were there were games where he played really well. I mean, even even that Newcastle game at the start of the season. <laughs> yeah. A couple of brilliant passes and the rest yeah. is shit on a stick, yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to b- pretend to be sorry that he's going. Um, I guess, as has been said on Twitter today, you know, almost the best thing you can say about Mkhitaryan is that perhaps his presence here persuaded Aubameyang to come. If that's the case, then I guess we take it. I mean... Mm. I love Aubameyang. So <laughs> if we've got Mkhitaryan to thank for that, then fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who now? Do, is anyone looking back in time and wishing we hadn't sold Sanchez for 60 million to City? <laughs> well, do you know what? It's really funny with Sanchez. I, I felt to myself that United would be looking to get rid of him within two years because they put him on such massive wages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They hadn't had a break for five Ever. years or something yeah, over yeah, the yeah. summer. And the style of football he was, he played at 100% all the time. So there was obviously going to be a breakdown at some point. Um, this happened a bit quicker than I was expecting it to, but 
maybe United should have seen it coming because he actually wasn't tearing up many trees for us by the time he left. No, that last few months for us, he, he had great moments but wasn't playing anywhere near the level he had been. And you're right, you know, a few of us at the time were like, it, you know, it wasn't great for us. It had left, but by the time it got to that situation, we were all kind of happy at it. And then we saw the contract United were giving him and we're like, Really? Yeah. Giving him the, you know, what well, if he if he hits his bonuses, which of course he didn't, but if he hits his bonuses, he'd been on half a million quid a week for like four years, when everyone knew that you know he was going to be, he's one of those players that was going to be at a league of the intensity of the Premier League is going to be bust by the time he was thirty at best, and it seems it was even quicker than that. Um, we'll see, we'll see what he does at Inter Milan. I mean, the Italian league's not quite as athletically demanding, so maybe allow his technical qualities to flourish uh, without the same level of physical intensity we shall see uh, can stop try and pop the ball onto the bonds of Romelu Lukaku we should keep him entertained for a bit um, but yeah so I mean obviously Mkhitaryan came for him Mkhitaryan's gone El Nelly's gone to Besiktas which of course happened this week as well uh, in a move that surprised absolutely fucking no one. Uh, yeah, he's gone on loan for the season because, of course, Turkish teams always talk about buying players from Arsenal and then can't afford to buy any of them at all. So uh, hopefully he plays well enough there to get another move rather than having to come back to Arsenal next year. Uh, and the permanent departure is um, is probably the, someone that a move, again, it totally makes sense, although the timing's a little bit funny. Is, is one Nacho Monreal um, for what appears to be sort of a, f- a few bags of footballs and a packet of fags in terms of the fee. Um, I mean, what did you make of that? Um, like you said, the timing, I would have all preferred him to have played yesterday, I think. Um, Apparently he was, uh, Emery wanted him to be available for selection, but understandably he said, I'd prefer not to given that I'm about to go and join another team and I don't want to to do a Leroy Sane and bust myself. Yeah, well, I can't knock him for that. I think when you, uh, bear in mind he was like a, 11th hour transfer because Kieran Gibbs got injured just before the transfer window shut seven years ago. He's he's been an incredible signing for Arsenal. I know know he had that little dip a couple of years back. Lost a bit of his pace but um, one of those players that sort of comes to the club and you sort of feel they got what Arsenal were about. Um, I think particularly when Cazorla was in the team, those two had a good link up on the left-hand side. Um, I did find it a little... There, there, there have been whispers about Monreal going to... It was Athletic Bill Bow about four years ago. Four, yeah, yeah. Three or four years ago. Yeah. There's been this constant... Pretty much every summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Constant background noise about Monreal going. So there, there was obviously something... Um, maybe some sort of underlying issue. I don't know. Um, it feels like there was. I mean, he's sort of said himself that um, Emery wasn't prepared to let him go last year, but this year, Monreal was like, well, my family comes first. So mm. perhaps the family just wanted to go back to the Basque country, which is understandable. It's a pretty cool place. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, one of those transfers that you saw I've said the timing for us may be a little bit unfortunate. Um, he might have been able to deliver the ball uh, without <laughs> falling over on his face yesterday. Yes, indeed. That was a cool may not. We, we'll never know. Um, but what, what a quality professional he was for us. Yeah, he's sort of one of those players that won't get anywhere near any of your best of teams, but certainly... Won't well, is further is closer to them than your worst of teams, you know. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Arsenal went through a period of being pretty well blessed for left backs, what with you know Kenny Sampson, Nigel Winterburn, and Ashley Cole. Uh, but since then, it's been a bit of a revolving door of people who've been not quite good enough, and naturally came into the category of being good enough, but not quite, never quite as good as we hoped. Apart from that. I suppose that 18 month period where he hit a real purple patch both in terms of form and also in terms of goals and assists where he was he went you know he's one of those players that has always been a a 6 6 7 8 out of 10 kind of player and he had that yeah. little little period where he was a 9 in, 9 and 10 out of 10 player for a few weeks and or a few or you know a few games in the same season and was really really impressive so I mean given the fee we paid for him and the service we got out of him I don't think anyone can 
look back on his time or anything other than satisfaction, even if it isn't necessarily amazement or wonder. Did you see? I, I, I think it was his, he he posted on Instagram saying that he'd um, seven years ago he woke up and he had missed calls from Santi Cazorla basically asking him if he wanted to come and play for Arsenal, which I thought was <laughs> a nice little aside. Agent Santi. Agent Santi, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, along with a few others uh, who probably already mentioned it, you know, um, you know uh, Gunner Blog, Gunnerholic, uh, Andrew Allen from Ask Blog, Amy Lawrence and a few others. We, uh, at the kit launch a few years ago, we, had, we were given the opportunity to do a group interview with him. And as I said at the time, just a very, very nice man. Um, uh, someone who treated us like like he was doing us, like we were doing him a favour rather than him doing us a favour. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, which is, I suppose, something to be appreciated. And he's always come across as being very humble and conscientious and popular. And, and of course, Hector Bellerin wrote a quite an emotional response to his departure. Um, basically. That was lovely, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it does seem, you know, Hector Bellerin does also seem like an incre- incredibly conscientious and aware person, so <laughs> that's hardly surprising they would express that appreciation. Um, so, but, you know, whether it was going to be now or in due course with the arrival of Tierney, um, Nacho is always going to be going. Um, and I suppose, uh, bar the fact that we still kind of need Jacker simply because otherwise our midfielders are all like 23 or under. Um, the only real other likely departure would be the sadly non- non-wanted Scrodan Mustafi that no one wants to take off our hands, poor sod. Um, I, mean, poor I feel sod. really bad for him, actually, because <laughs> I sort of, I was very blithely saying a few weeks ago, well, not being good enough for Arsenal isn't the same thing as not being good enough. Surely someone will want him. Um, well, I'm sure they would if he wasn't 90 grand a week and wasn't. Yeah. I mean, and we'd probably want a decent transfer fee for him. I mean, you know, for better or worse, he's a, a experienced German international with lots of top flight experience who is approaching what should be the prime of his career for, for a centre half. So we're not going to just give him away. Um, and he's one of those players that you know damn well that if in, in the right team, in the right league, he'd be very, very successful. Because he has a lot of positive qualities, he just needs someone else who can basically clear his mess up after him when he when he makes stupid mistakes. He needs a murder sacker. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> so um, yeah, so it looks like Mustafi's going to be just in Arsenal limbo by the looks of it, being. A combination of fourth choice right back and fifth choice centre half, <laughs> which means he's not going to. I mean, is he going to be the, the leading out the League Cup teams and and getting some games in the Europa League? I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> and then, uh, and then beyond that, you're looking at who else there's there's a need for squad renewal of and. You know, it really is. It shows what a strategic and intensive period it is of turnover of players. You know, you're looking at obviously Urzel's got a limited future, but no one's going to take him off our hands, and he's still a very good footballer. Aubameyang's not as young as we'd wish he was, <laughs> but it, but but his current levels of fitness and performance suggest we're good for another couple of years there. David Luiz obviously has a limited limited time with us, but judging by early performances, that might be fine by everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I did. I was listening to. Um, I don't list, download it every week, um, but I was listening to the uh, Ask Cast Extra last week, and um, basically said he was talking to his brother, who's a Chelsea fan, about David Luiz mm. the Liverpool game. And his brother basically said, "Well, he might as well have done it in a game you were going to lose anyway." <laughs> well, it's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, I suppose what I'm getting at is it's a, there's been a real conscious uh, attempt by the club to overhaul the squad and also reduce the age profile. Oh, it, yeah. They've, they've done an amazing job there because I think probably a year ago even we were looking at... I mean, there are obvious exceptions, but a, a very 
not old Arsenal team, but certainly getting old mm, mm. Arsenal team. And it was difficult to see where the re- renewal was going to come from. But now, you know, whatever happens in the next couple of months, because the squad's been refreshed. Yeah. And will continue to be so with the likes of Martinelli, Reese Nelson, yeah. Smith Rowe, possibly. He, you know, he's, if, if, if he, he hasn't gone anywhere, has he? No, I mean, his issue is, is retaining fitness, unfortunately. He had a, he got picked up a, a, another injury, which is as yet undisclosed from the other 23 game he played the other night, having just kind of got himself back to being able to play on um, regular under 23 football, which is a shame. Um, but I think it'd be fair to say our best players are still probably our senior players for the most part but at the same time we're you know if we if we manage to achieve a natural progression in the players we have in the squad we're going to get to a point where more of our best players will be players who are younger than or approaching or just entering their peak or what should be their peak um, which is of course where you want to be in terms of having a squad you want to be having a squad where you've got some absolute top players who are late 20s and maybe just hitting 30 and then you want the rest of your first choice players to be 25, 26 or under Yeah, and and we're sort of very much shifting in that direction Um, I mean before we sort of start wrapping up because obviously there's an international break going ahead so we might as well save some other content for that (laughs) Um, do you have any other observations about the Spurs game? I mean beyond obviously Harry Kane's patented we haven't really talked about that have we? Not as much. Were you, were, were you saving up a whole section to discuss that? <laughs> well, I thought we might touch on that before we go. I guess the only, only thing is um, the Socrates goal five minutes from the end. Like there was absolute bedlam in the pub, and then, and then Mike, wasn't. Had, yeah, <laughs> Mike had brought another uh, mate of his who was also an Arsenal fan, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just. Taps me on the shoulder and points at me. But yeah, I, I, I guess in a way we sort of had that taken away from us. And then, you know, Spurs with their almost getting another last minute penalty against us. Um, I, I, I did enjoy uh, Jeff Shreve showing him the, the replay of it and watching him try to defend himself. Um, I quite enjoyed the uh, Twitter exchanges Gary Lineker's had with um, Alan Shearer and Lee Dixon. Oh, right, tell me about uh, those then. Oh, well, just Lineker was saying that it wasn't a dive and um, Shearer was like, never a pen, Gary. And then Lineker sort of backtracked a little bit. Well, it, it wasn't a pen, but it wasn't a dive either. It's nice to see that actually Harry Kane's starting to get called out by people that are not Arsenal fans. Yeah, because there is always this. Well, of course we'd call him a diver. Of course we would. Well, he is. But um, other people are noticing now, and they're starting to say so. Um, you know, there was the one at Newcastle last week, which I actually had to show. I was talking to a Spurs fan about it last week, and they were saying they hadn't seen it. And I was like, he actually, the ball went down one path, and he ran away from the ball to run across this defender, who then fell over. Mm. Um, he wasn't going to get the ball because he wasn't running towards the ball. So how could it be a penalty? But once again, he managed to not get booked for diving, even though the referee made it clear he didn't think it was a penalty. Yeah, it is good that more and more people are starting to notice because I mean he's he's a he's a slight, he's a cleverer diver than some of the others. So it, you know he's a bit more subtle. He's very good at making creating just enough ambiguity. <laughs> uh, but of course, Pochettino has openly admitted in an interview a few years ago that he teaches his players to dive. So, so it's not like anyone should be fucking surprised by this shit. You know, we've seen Spurs get any number of dodgy penalties in recent years. And I'm not talking about games involving us. Um, and the manager has admitted that he teaches players to dive. And yes, their penalty taker might be want quite like to win some penalties. Thank you very much. But he's got a very, very singular patented technique, which is the plant one leg and then swan dive off both. Yeah. Um, which Lee did a banging thread on Twitter earlier. Was, um, the, it was a sequence of Harry Kane dives. There is a definite consistency there. I haven't seen that thread, but I have seen uh, some compiled and put together, and it's like, yeah, yeah, there's a there's a solid, <laughs> consistent technique there. Uh, Three match ban. 
Retrospective. <laughs> England captain. Yeah, you think he's getting his a bloody knighthood. Exactly. I mean, if it was enough to get Shearer off of stuff standing on someone's head. I still, like, I think of that. I was, <laughs> I was so craving of the FA. Uh, World Cup coming up, England captain, I will... Nothing to see here, guys. I mean, accusing the FA of being craven is is almost a compliment. Um, <laughs> their, their disciplinary procedures, we all know, are totally inconsistent, applied inconsistently, and are very much dependent on nationality and public profile. It is very strange when you think, like, Robert Perez, for all the great stuff that Perez did in his time at Arsenal, people will still always talk about that one time against Portsmouth where he engineered a contact. And as we've just said, you know, there's like a litany of Harry Kane lives. And it's taken, like, four years for people to actually start talking about them. Yeah, well, one's a Frenchman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, the same old Arsenal always cheating is a popular chanter, even amongst the most cheaty, scummy teams in the league, you know. <laughs> All those dirty teams from up north that are, have their brief stays in the Premier League and result, rejoice in singing their chant while they're trying to maim as many of our players as possible. <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite funny. I've never sort of realised what a joyous thing that is to chant or type in my case as uh when i kept watching the aussies appeal for things that were clearly not out <laughs> and the headingly crowd are launching into them saying same old aussies always cheating and when you when you type that on twitter it's just oh, it's just so nice <laughs> so i think that's why people sing it i stay enjoy doing it I think the problem that, with us is that Arsene Wenger set us up as like the Corinthian ideal of what football should be and then I can't remember who it was now Mark Overmars and Carney with that very quick yeah. throw in against Sheffield United but then we did replay the entire fucking game which we, we were going to win anyway you didn't talk about that though Matthew did they? <laughs> no no <laughs> it's only exacerbated by you know we're now in the age of Brexit Britain where yeah I mean, actually, you know, actually, one of the interesting things about Brexit is it has highlighted the degree to which, um, to which people's opinions are totally de generally devoid of factual basis, uh, or uh, and people will stick to a, an argument regardless of whether it's in their self-interests or not, um, which which is kind of you know we're we're seeing that played out on a, on a national political scale that you know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're cheating or not. We've said you're cheating, and therefore, even if it's proved to us categorically without doubt that you're the least cheaty people in the universe, you are cheats. <laughs> because we couldn't possibly admit that we were wrong about anything because it's become tribal now. And it is, yeah, our politics is developing the same tribalism as our football, and both are essentially irrational. And I'll stop there before I start saying some things that will get me a lot of Twitter hate. Yeah. All right, then. Well, anyway, we've kind of disappeared down a bit of rabbit hole a few times in the last few minutes. So we're going to knock it on the head there. Uh, there's no game to look forward to next week, listeners, because it's international yawn break, uh, which I'm sure everyone is desperately excited about. And we'll come back in your ears then, hopefully with some special content to try and take your mind off the fact that it's international break. Got a few things up our sleeve. Let's see if they come to fruition. If not, at least I'll try and find something entertaining. For you to I'm a to. bit concerned about the idea of you coming in someone's ear. <laughs> I might have to edit that out, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be interested to see if you do. Um... <laughs> right, okay. Well, uh, that's been Paul Williams, so it's goodbye from Paul. Lowering the tone as always. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me, your host, Matthew Wade, and we'll be back speaking to you next week. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.